Well, hey, we're back. It is episode 11 of the Firehouse Forum podcast. I am David Timberline. I am Community Engagement Manager at the Firehouse Theater, and we have a fun show for you today. We will be talking to Josh Chenard. He is a director of Desire Under the Elms here at Firehouse last fall. He is preparing to roll out Moth at Theater Lab, opens this weekend. A great cast, another two-hander. And then we will be talking to Amy White. She is the producer of the annual RTCC Awards, or the Artsies, and we're going to give a quick little preview about the Artsies. I know it's six months away, but you know, it's never too early to start generating buzz and get people to mark that date on their calendar. Very quick housekeeping notes, and Oak Tree continues at Firehouse this weekend. Come see the final three performances on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We will also be having a talk back on Friday with the director, the star Landon Nagel, and also a professor from VCU who will talk about conceptual art. So that'll be after the, immediately after the performance of an Oak Tree on Friday the 13th. So come on out for that. Even if you've seen the show, come out and enjoy the talk back because I'm sure you will have left the show uh, with some questions or some thoughts and we'd love to have you back in the theater to talk about it on sunday the 15th we have burlesque right meow at 7 30 here at firehouse and then next tuesday on the 17th we have a show called ages of the moon it is a one night only theatrical event and as with all these uh, events you can find out more at firehousetheater.org take a look at that but for right now we'll get right into the podcast Hi there. We are here with Josh Chenard, director of The Moth. It's opening at Theater Lab any minute now. So uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. We are very happy to have Josh back at the firehouse, um, even if it's just for an interview. He did a great production called Desire Under the Elms here last fall. Very well received. And he has history in Richmond. And then he went away and then he came back. So we're glad to have you back in Thank Richmond. You. I am thrilled to be back in Richmond. <laughs> and where were you in the interim? Uh, I went to New Mexico. So okay. I was offered a position as the head of acting at New Mexico State University okay. and an opportunity to design an acting program and to be have some heavy influence in their theater season out there. Great. And so it was such a great opportunity that I didn't want to say no. And yeah. I had never lived in the American Southwest before. And yeah. I didn't know how much I would dislike it until oh, really? I moved to the American Southwest. Oh, so no. at the time, there's literally not one professional theater company in all of New Mexico. Wow. So the closest professional work was Phoenix, about six or seven hours away. Jeez. So I found that if I was towards the end of my career, it would have been perfect right. because I could have gone and directed one play a year. And, and uh, ease right into your retirement. Ease and, into it. And yeah. The weather was great, believe me, yeah. the cost of living. But in terms of wanting to have an active career still, it was such a challenge to get in and out of there. Right. And, you know, and my warning should have been when I showed up for the job interview, I went down their main street and they have about two community theaters and one theater was doing the mousetrap and another theater was doing carousel in oh, the university wanted me to direct our town so i'm like oh my god are we in 1958 or what's That's going right. on so that uh it's also wanting to maintain relationships with new works right. and things i was important to me so I had, a, I had a great time while i was there but i sort of in the back of my mind knew that i wanted to get back east right. to have a different quality of work and relationships and be closer to new york where yeah. i'm always hoping I'll have work brewing and sometimes do. So this makes much more sense personally, professionally. That's and my great. family's up in New England. So this this makes much more sense. I'm used to thinking of Richmond as our cozy little mid-market city. But to think of like one professional theater six hours away, 
that's not our case. We got all sorts of professionals that's right. around here. That's right. So, and now you're back on the faculty with Theater VCU. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, how's that going? Great. I seem to be really finding my way back to things at great times with Sharon Ott coming in as our new chair in the department, going through some changes and some growing towards, I think, being, you know, Theater VCU is such a wonderful place to be and such an amazing program to begin with. But I think anything can be better. And I think Mm -hmm. bringing in new eyes, sometimes taking a look at things, and, and that's what Sharon is doing and building other bridges and fine tuning who we want our students to be and where we want them to go. So it's a really exciting time to be part of that. And for me, I get excited because some of my specialties, I'm a, a, an associate teacher of a, a technique of voice work called Fitzmorris voice work. Right. So I get to teach that this semester. Uh, my other specialty with the Michael Chekhov technique, I get to teach that almost every mm-hmm. semester. So, you know, to be part of something where it's growing and mm-hmm. to be able to teach the things you love and I get to direct when I want in their black box because I prefer the black box over the main stage. Okay. It have freedom there. So I can't complain. <laughs> well, it's great. I, yeah, I should have prompted you on this. I didn't have to, however, because I was going to ask you about the techniques that you are, you know, that are kind of prominent in your resume, particularly the Fitzmaurice voice work. What exactly is that? You know, it's funny because I'm not really a voice teacher mm-hmm. per se. I'm an acting guy. I'm a director. I'm an acting guy. Mm. And I, a few years ago, took a workshop in Los Angeles with, with Catherine Fitzmorris. And her approach to work is all about release work. And it's mm. about exploring your habits, exploring tension in vocal freedom and energetic freedom. And this is going to sound absolutely crazy. But her approach <laughs> like involves <laughs> moving, moving your body into various positions and your body moves into an involuntary tremor. But it kicks your autonomic nervous system in. But what it does is it moves the tremor and the vibration into parts of your body in which you've held tension sometimes for decades. And it initiates a release. Hmm. And it and it fine-tunes your body for vibration and energy. I think so often, I think if people watch theater and they dislike it, what they dislike about it is that they're seeing it and they're hearing it, but they're not feeling it. Yeah. And her technique works at fine-tune the body to vibration and the voice to vibration. Voice is nothing but vibration. And moving the energy through the body into the audience. So to me, when I did it, I thought, oh my God, you're labeling this a vocal technique, but this is an (laughs) acting technique. Uh, And I fell so in love with it, I went and spent two summers in New York City with her working, and I've been doing it for years with all the major master practitioners of the work, and was thrilled to be certified to do it. And so I have clients, I do it with, I mean, people would laugh if they knew. I do this with news anchors, I do this with lawyers, Sure, but it's a freeing technique, so it's, it's... Really exciting, dynamic work. Well, I think it's so cool to break it down. I think people in general might think about acting as as a very kind of nebulous thing. But Mm. when you break it down, there are specific tools that you are using as as an actor and as a news anchor and and many, you know, many performative kind of professions. And voice is one of your major tools. It's huge. And I think... I think about a ton when I'm directing anything. It's a little bit like planning a dinner party without knowing who your guests are. Because, you know, I walk into a rehearsal and certainly I've, I've cast the actors, but I don't know what their approach to it is. Right. So, so often you're the first week or two of rehearsals trying to discover a common language. And so often my language with one actor is not my language with the other. So it turns into a, a bit of a game, but but I love that. That's why I've gone on to study so many different acting techniques. I feel like I'm able to, I'd like to think, 
working with actors, I, I think of myself as a problem solver, hmm. that uh, I'm able to find a solution for most acting problems. Now that I've said that, I'll walk into my acting class and <laughs> have a curveball thrown at me. But, right. but I, I, I feel pretty good about it for the most part. And then I, I'm, it's one of my favorite parts about directing, if you want to know the truth, is being up up on the floor with the yeah. actors being up on the stage, you know, right around this time when a show's getting ready to open, it's really depressing to me. Oh, because who, <laughs> who needs me? Who needs me? Nobody. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I sure. feel that way. <laughs> so speaking of the actors you're working with specifically right now, yeah. you've got Kelsey Cordray mm-hmm. and John Minx in Ma, two very accomplished actors. And how have they approached this work? It's a, it's a pretty... Uh, thorny kind of show from what I understand. It is. And I think they came into it. I kind of said to them, look, you're going to go into a little bit of an acting boot camp with me because Mm. I feel like you have to abandon a lot of what you think you know. This has been for all of us. We're doing this play about high school students. And I have lived in such fear of, I don't want to play at being high school students and Mm. I don't want to move towards caricature at all. So the only way I can think about it is to continually scratch at what do you genuinely remember or feel about it? So if you look at an emotion like, they're terrorized in this play Hmm. and they deal with real terror. So I think terror is one of those emotions that's easy to play at and it rings as false. So working with both John and Kelsey about telling stories about high school, well, do you remember the first time you felt that terror in your gut? Where did you feel it? What did that feel like? So that we can continually be hopefully playing the characters from a place of truthful truthful emotional knowledge versus trying to present what we think terror looks like. Right. So we've done a lot of that work. So lots of sharing, lots of how else can we think about this moment? What else do you know about this moment? What do you know about this? And I've asked that question a lot. What do you know about this? So this scene about this first kiss, I hope I'm not giving anything away. (laughs) I don't think I am. So there's a kiss. I won't tell you who or what. Okay. But the question becomes really interesting about in this moment. Like, what do you remember about your first kiss? Right. Like, was it amazing or was it terrible? Was it hideously (laughs) awkward, which most of them are? Yes. And then how... Where do you feel that in your body and what's that? How can we bring that so that we're doing it? Because my hope is always that as actors and as a production, if we are, we are able to share truthful feelings of Mm -hmm. what the experience of the characters are, that the audience is feeling it too. Right. So my dream is that the audience is out there thinking about their first kiss. So, (laughs) you know, so the actors have been wonderful to work with. They've really been game for everything I've wanted to do. We've done some Anne Bogart viewpoints work with this. When you see it, you'll see a very specific style of staging Hmm. on a grid, or maybe you won't, but um, (laughs) But it's there. there. (laughs) And when you will see a grid actually light up at one point. So they've really been game for allowing me to take them on the journey in which I feel is the best way to crack into this particular text. Yeah. I have a 17-year-old high school student son right now at home. And one of the things that it has reminded me, seeing him go through the past couple of years, and I think it may or may not, you can tell me if I'm wrong, is applicable to acting is when somebody is acting an emotion it, when you're crying in real life, usually you're not, you're, you're trying to stop yourself from crying. It's not, you're not trying to get yourself to cry. And my son, you know, he drove for the first time. He had his first date. He had his first prom, all those kind of things. But he was not, you know, I'm sure he was nervous. I'm sure he was terrorized. I'm sure there was a lot of things going on. But he was trying really, really hard not to let you see those things. But you could see them. They're behind there. Mm-hmm. And I, It just reminds me of how there's that balance in acting is where you want to make the emotion clear, but also realize you want to make it real too. 
Yeah. I think, too, emotion, I mean, that is the challenge for every actor. You get mm-hmm. a script and you have this really emotional scene and you were at first so thrilled that you get to have this emotional moment on stage, <laughs> then you're an immediate terror of how am I going to do this? <laughs> and I think emotion is challenging because psychologically, emotionally lasts, I think I read a textbook, seven to eight seconds and anything mm. beyond that, you are feeding. So these emotions are really fleeting things with no moral compass and there's no intellect behind them. So right. this idea of being able to, let me figure out my subtext and do this to get <laughs> to the emotion of this is is interesting theoretically, but psychologically, it's sort of inaccurate because you can't think yourself into an emotion. So I think heightening the circumstances of the characters to have yourself feel it. And then I think sometimes scratching into it by reminding yourself how you felt in that moment to feed it. But it is, it's challenging and, and, and you hope for authenticity. And I think that's partly why I'm such a fan of having a soundscape of some sort hmm. music because music's so emotional Absolutely. and why lighting is so important to me because I never talk about lighting phases which I'm sure drives some people insane <laughs> I'm too busy talking about well what's the emotion of the scene like what's the color what's the feel what's the texture right. so some people love to have scenes lit up like a Walmart parking lot and I'm always <laughs> like I just I don't care about again seeing everything I care about feeling through things people will see you know they'll adjust but I want to I care so much about the color and the feeling and the sound and, and, and transitions and the movement. All of that to me is what fuels the emotion of the piece. And right. I, I take such consideration with all of that. One of the things that just occurred to me is that you mentioned as before we were starting that one of your first shows here was Lord of the Plies, mm. which I neglected to mention on my last podcast. So apologize for that. That was a show with a pretty sprawling cast and a lot of things going on. Yeah. Then you had Desire. And I, I know you've had plenty of works in B. But indulge me in this triplet kind of thinking. You have Lord of the Flies with a big sprawling cast. You had Desire of the Elms, which was intimate, but it was also four or five actors working together. And now you've got a two-hander where it's just head to head. Is that dramatically different, or are all are there things as a director that you have to change given the scope of the cast, or are some things always the same? I think for me. I'm always drawn to things that require a certain level of interpretation mm-hmm. and where there's a certain level of rawness to it, which I, I love. It's funny talking about subtext. You're making a joke about it a few minutes ago because mm-hmm. I actually love things that have no subtext. Mm-hmm. You know, Animals have no subtext. They don't think about, <laughs> right. you know, how am I going to get you to give me that toy? It's like, feed me, pet me, <laughs> let me out. Right. So Lord of the Flies felt very much like that to me because there are these kids on this island and I just got to let loose and play in this rambunctious sound and and, and help them cre- contain that in a way. When do we let it out? When do we hold it back in? I remember that just being a very joyful process of working with uh, all those young men on piecing that together. And I think some of that r- really connects to desire in so many ways because mm. in so many ways that's also a raw piece. Right. And it's about when do you reveal, when do you allow the audience to know this emotionally, when do you hold back. But I would say what connects both of those pieces is there are moments when people are at their most base emotion baseline. Mm. Like they are right there at that point where we all hope we never get to and we sure as hell hope when they're there that no one sees it. (laughs) And so in Lord of the Flies, you see it. It's a play about that. And then Desire of the Elms is the exact same thing. You see the worst possible scenarios. And I think Moth, to be honest, is the exact same thing. There's something about these, you are seeing the worst moments from them getting beat up Mm. to getting heads shoved in toilets to... (sighs) getting laughed at, like the most brutal moments of high school are in this piece. 
Hmm. And so there's also a rawness of that too. So I think finding, I think that's really intriguing to me. I think I really love that, but I also feel very respectful of that. Like yeah. those aren't moments, you know, I'm not making a lifetime TV movie here. Right. Um, Meredith Baxter Bernie's not showing up anytime soon. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you handle those things theatrically while being thoughtful and loving? Because there's so much right now around trigger warnings, I think appropriately so. Right. And so much around wanting to be thoughtful with how sensitive subjects are handled theatrically and otherwise. And I relish that. I, I love finding my way into that. And I love collaborating around that. So I think those three pieces are connected by how do I visually, energetically, with some kind of soundscape while honoring a classic text. I mean, Lord of the Flies. What's yeah. more classic than that? Right. And, and then Desire Under the Elms. Now, Moth is a contemporary piece, but it feels weighted down in the same world as those two. So yeah, I really feel... And then at, at the VCU Black Box, I did Ionesco's Rhinoceros, mm. which is also yeah. this sort of vivid, absurdist piece, you know, rooted in World War II and fascism. And so right. it hasn't been a light couple of years for me. I think I'm ready to whip out a Neil Simon or... Something silly. <laughs> but I think that's how those things connect. And yeah. I, to be honest, to hear you say that connection with all of those things, I don't know if my career will always have that. I feel so lucky. Mm. You know what I mean? That yeah. When else am I going to have a year where I go from an O'Neill to an Ionesco to this beautiful, shockingly relevant piece? I mean, yeah. DJ selected this before sort of the, the Florida shootings, yeah. which has brought that to the forefront. Uh, and there's definitely elements of that in this. So I feel artistically really satisfied and just really damned lucky. Well, I feel like we're pretty damn lucky to have you back in town. Thank you. Do, doing these great shows. For somebody who's doing some pretty intense stuff, you seem like a very happy guy. I guess that's where I work it all out. <laughs> I know when people look at some of the work I do or talk about it, they say that surprises me about you. And, and I guess it doesn't surprise me because I think that is where I, I get to work out mm -hmm. things. I, I had said during Desire Under the Elms that I had some grief I needed to work out about the death of my grandparents and okay. about sort of life, having not worked out in New Mexico the way that I thought it would. And I think we all carry certain levels of grief. So I became very aware of that show of my own grief and letting that, letting that inform some of yeah. what I was doing in the same way that with this, I've realized that moth is about letting go. And I, I've had to look at myself and say, all right, well, what, what are you needing to let go of? What, what's your part of the storytelling here with this? You're pushing okay. the actors into, <laughs> what do you know about this? Well, Josh, what do you know about this? <laughs> right. And, and I think that being able to work through my, my own connections with text and, and drama and rawness is, I hate to say therapeutic because I feel like I'm talking to Dr. Phil if I say that. <laughs> I'm comfortable infusing my work with what I, whatever I'm going through. Okay. And I, I think that that is part of the, I hope, part of the appeal. Now, I hope the audiences never know that. Why would they? Why right. should they? It's why, I, to be honest, I don't write director's notes more often than not because I always mm. say, just if you want to know what I think, come watch the show. Right. And I don't want to share that stuff. I've already shared it. Yeah. So I don't I don't need to talk about it. Right. And I'm actually embarrassed that I've talked about it here, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not gonna delete all this stuff. We're I keeping know. it. Oh God. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to seeing the moth. I'm sure this whole series of picking sides has mm. been really intense. Um some it's really great brilliant. performances. It, it, it's really brilliant on DJ's part that he comes up with these themes and, and then pushes us as directors to really honor them. And it's 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 been uh, 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 it's been fun having a challenge thrown into what's already a challenging piece sure well it opens tomorrow the day after this podcast airs 
and it's on Friday, right? It opens Thursday is the preview, and then Friday is the official opening. All right. Well, everybody go see it. That's The Moth at Theater Lab. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you, David. We're back, and we're here with Amy White. Hi, Amy. Hi, Dave. (laughs) Thanks for coming in. Amy has many skills and many talents, but you may know her specifically as the producer for the past 10 years of the RTCC Awards, as we affectionately call them, the Artsies. It's still several months until the Artsies actually arrive, but it's never too early to start generating buzz. And we got a lot to talk about because we've got some great hosts this year. We are so excited about them. Alexander Sapp and Jesse Johnson. Right. Previous Artsies Award winners and actors that Richmond audiences adore. Right. I think some people may still think that this is just this cute little skit that the critics throw together, but there's this huge infrastructure that is built around the Artsies at this point, mostly with your guidance. And we have gotten things in place much earlier this year. So we have hosts earlier. We have a, we have a solid date earlier than we have in the past. So when is it going to be? So this year's Artsies is Sunday, October 7th at 7.30 p.m. Mark your calendars now. And tickets are going to go on sale in late August. That'll be $20 a piece. Very affordable for the whole family. Right. And as usual, we're going to have the great band that we always have. Uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about and both of us wanted to talk a little bit about the kind of behind-the-scene things that happen with the awards. So uh, tell me about the band. Yeah, so everybody knows that we've had this amazing Artsies band for the past many, many years, and it is led by the incomparable Brian Harris. Yay, Brian. Amazing, amazing talent, and the rest of the band is uh, equally remarkable. Not only do they craft these amazing accompaniments from thin air, usually with no sheet music whatsoever, but they are able to follow along with whatever is happening on the stage (laughs) at any given time. And to that end, something that people probably don't know, the Artsies Band actually has a name. Yay! They call themselves Cola Voce. It's an Italian term, and it refers to the phenomenon of a solo vocalist who leads and then the instrument's follow along behind and provide accompaniment to that vocalist. So So. that is exactly what our band does. Uh, Every single year they come up with really interesting intros and extras leading (laughs) us in and out from intermission, leading the award recipients onto the stage and sometimes forcibly (laughs) off the stage. That's right. Uh, And for the first time last year, one of those background music, uh, musical numbers included vocals. Uh, Brian Harris performed the vocals for or Pinball Wizard by right. The Who, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think one of the things that that speaks to is that people <clears throat> often say to me, why should I go to the awards? I didn't see all the shows. I'm not really familiar with all the things that are going to be awarded. But as you and I both know, it's really, the ceremony itself is really just a great time. And it, it is. It's remarkable. And even if you don't know all of the reference points, the material's interesting too. So we have this great script writing team that works for months and months and months to craft something that's tantalizing and, uh, and intriguing and playful. <laughs> right. And they are working on the dialogue for the award presenters, for all the little banter that goes back and forth among the people on the stage. And they usually reference back to things that have happened in our theater community over the past year. But either way, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be fun. Right. And uh, anybody is welcome. And that's something we're trying to get the word out about this year. It's not just for theater professionals. We want theater goers. We want the broader Richmond community who's interested in performing arts to come out and see what 
this is all about and and really experience the excellence in our local theater. Right. And you and people who are associated with theater, it really reaches into the whole art community because you have people who are visual artists who are involved in theater, you have people who are vocal artists who are involved in theater. And so really if you have any interest in the arts in Richmond, it's a good it's a good time. For and you. the arts is a great chance for the next generation to get involved too. Melissa right. Johnston Price for many years now has led up our volunteer effort, recruiting volunteers to do ushering, paparazzi and, and uh, red carpet interviews, help with awards presentation. And she works with local schools and performing arts programs to do that. And we've established some really remarkable relationships with those groups, which allows us to not only experience really talented, exciting young people who want to be there, but it gives them a chance to have some real world experience in this great performing arts uh, gala. Right. Well, and I also wanted to circle back. You talked about the uh, <clears throat> writing crew that is going to be working on dialogue and intros and extras and everything. And having been involved in this for 11 years now, a lot of the usual puns and references are kind of played out. So we're really trying to bring new people in to freshen it up. We're, we always reference politics because, you know, you can't avoid that. Absolutely. Um, so there's jokes and skits and interesting banter for anybody, really. Absolutely. And we're, we're still excited to have Rich Grisette leading that up. Um, his wit and charm is always fun to have uh, behind the scenes and behind the words on the stage. But it's exciting to have a whole team throwing out fresh ideas and being part of the process. And also, uh, you're involved in the, the selection process now. What do you see as some front runners? See, you're always so prepared, so I wanted to throw something at you you wouldn't be prepared <laughs> at. So what do you see as some of the great productions that have happened so far this year? Well, I'm going to have to not comment on that other than to say it really has been a remarkable year for theater. And there is so much talent in the Richmond community. It's it's absolutely amazing. I don't know how we're going to choose winners, but it's it's been a delight to be part of the process and see uh, kind of how the sausage is made. Um, but we have a really great group working on this together. So some people will know that a few years ago, we expanded from the original Critics Circle to include a Theater Alliance panel. Um, um, so those people are chosen by the RVA Theater Alliance, which is comprised of all of the professional theaters in Richmond, and they select people who see theater, who know theater, who really can appreciate what's going on and rate things by merit accordingly. So right. the, these people have been, I've watched them work, I've watched them go through the process of selecting the best plays and best actors and best technical elements. And they really do put a lot of thought into it, put a lot of themselves into it. Right. And it's exciting to be working with them uh, and to be part of the process this year. Yeah, well, and I think what <clears throat> is unfortunate is the pool of journalists that are involved in arts coverage and theater coverage is unfortunately shrinking. And with the change in journalism generally across the country and across the world, in order to have a broad, I don't know, a broad audience of opinions to bring into a critical process like this, we had to expand it into people who are theater fans and theater professionals mm -hmm. who can, you know, agree to be part of a pretty rigorous process. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of theater professionals, I really have to give props to the Virginia Rep crew. They have an entire team of professionals who work on technical elements, facilities management, who meet with our Artsies planning committee for months prior to the event to make sure that the whole process and all of the details for the production are nailed down and in place. And they really make it a top-notch production. So yeah. uh, we're very fortunate to have that relationship with Virginia Rep. Right. And this, this hurts me to do so, but I also have to give props to Jerry Williams because he brings a level of professionalism to all the video and a lot of the production elements 
developments that happen because, you know, he has been a longtime video producer. And so once we started doing in memoriam sections, once we started doing, it's, it's worth mentioning that the theme this year is going to be location, location, location. And so we're going to be talking about some of the unique spaces and venues in town. And he always does a great job of capturing, you know, interview segments and uh, on-site location video. Yeah. And for those who didn't see it last year, you can go to his blog, uh, Sifter, and, and look up the video featuring many of the professional theater artists and theater goers in the Richmond community and what they were doing 10 years ago. So right. so the video he did for last year's Artsies was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it as always. And, you know, it's still, I don't know, what, seven months away, yeah. but six months away. It's not too soon to be starting to plan your outfit. Right. And, you know, exactly. <laughs> right. Hit those thrift stores now right. um, and put a big star on your calendar for what's the date again? Sunday, October 7th it's at 7.30 p.m. That's right. We were going back to Sunday. It was Monday for a couple years. Theater prom is on a Sunday, so everybody should have no excuse. That's be right. there. Be in your finest. We're excited to see everybody. All right. Great. Well, thanks for coming in. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you to Josh Chenard, uh, director of The Moth at Theater Lab, opening this weekend. Go see that. And also, thank you to Amy White for coming in here kind of at the last minute and giving us a quick preview of the Artsies Awards happening in October. So mark that on your calendar. And until next time, this has been the Firehouse Forum Podcast. We'll see you next week.